A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe, Episode 3. It was indeed a time of very unhappy breaches among us in matters of religion. Innumerable sects and divisions and separate opinions prevailed among the people. The Church of England was restored indeed with the restoration of the monarchy about four years before, but the ministers and preachers of the Presbyterians and Independents and of all the other sorts of professions had begun to gather separate societies and erect altar against altar, and all those had their meetings for worship apart, as they had but not so many then, the dissenters being not thoroughly formed into a body as they are since, and those congregations which were thus gathered together were yet but few, and even those that were the government did not allow, but endeavored to suppress them and shut up their meetings." But the visitation reconciled them again, at least for a time, and many of the best and most valuable ministers and preachers of the dissenters were suffered to go into the churches where the incumbents were fled away, as many were, not being able to stand it. And the people flocked without distinction to hear them preach, not much inquiring who or what opinion they were of. But after the sickness was over, that spirit of charity abated, and every church being again supplied with their own ministers, or others presented where the minister was dead, things return to their old channel again. One mischief always introduces another. These terrors and apprehensions of the people led them into a thousand weak, foolish, and wicked things which they wanted not a sort of people really wicked to encourage them to. And this was running about to fortune-tellers, cunning men, and astrologers to know their fortune, or, as tis vulgarly expressed, to have their fortunes told them, their nativities calculated, and the like. And this folly presently made the town swarm with a wicked generation of pretenders to magic, to the black art, as they called it, and I know not what. Nay, to a thousand worse dealings with the devil than they were really guilty of. And this trade grew so open and so generally practiced that it became common to have signs and inscriptions set up at doors. Here lives a fortune teller. Here lives an astrologer. Here you may have your nativity calculated and the like." and Friar Bacon's brazen head, which was the usual sign of these people's dwellings, was to be seen almost in every street, or else the sign of Mother Shipton, or of Merlin's head, and the like. With what blind, absurd, and ridiculous stuff these oracles of the devil pleased and satisfied the people I really know not, but certain it is that innumerable attendants crowded about their doors every day, and if but a grave fellow in a velvet jacket, a band, and a black cloak, which was the habit of those quack conjurers generally went in, was but seen in the streets— the people would follow them in crowds and ask them questions as they went along. I need not mention what a horrid delusion this was or what it tended to, but there was no remedy for it till the plague itself put an end to it all, and, I suppose, cleared the town of most of those calculators themselves. One mischief was that if the poor people asked these Malik astrologers whether there would be a plague or no, they all agreed in the general to answer yes, for that kept up their trade. And had the people not been kept in a fright about that, the wizards would presently have been rendered useless, and their craft had been at an end. But they always talked to them of such and such influences of the stars, of the conjunctions of such and such planets, which must necessarily bring sickness and distempers, and consequently the plague. And some had the assurance to tell them the plague was begun already, which was too true, though they that said so knew nothing of the matter." The ministers, to do them justice, and preachers of most sorts that were serious and understanding persons, thundered against these and other wicked practices, and exposed the folly as well as the wickedness of them together, and the most sober and judicious people despised and abhorred them. But it was impossible to make any impression upon the middling people and the working laboring poor. Their fears were predominant over all their passions, and they threw away their money in a most distracted manner upon these whimsies. 
Maidservants especially, and men servants, were the chief of their customers, and their question generally was, after the first demand of, will there be a plague, I say, the next question was, oh, sir, for the Lord's sake, what will become of me? Will my mistress keep me, or will she turn me off? Will she stay here, or will she go into the country? And if she goes into the country, will she take me with her, or leave me here to be starved and undone? And the like of men servants. The truth is, the case of poor servants was very dismal, as I shall have occasion to mention again by and by, for it was apparent a prodigious number of them would be turned away, and it was so, and of them abundance perished, and particularly of those that these false prophets had flattered with hopes that they should be continued in their services and carried with their masters and mistresses into the country, and had not public charity provided for these poor creatures, whose number was exceeding great, and in all cases of this nature must be so, they would have been in the worst condition of any people in the city. These things agitated the minds of the common people for many months, while the first apprehensions were upon them, and while the plague was not, as I may say, yet broken out. But I must also not forget that the more serious part of the inhabitants behaved after another manner. The government encouraged their devotion, and appointed public prayers and days of fasting and humiliation to make public confession of sin, and implore the mercy of God to avert the dreadful judgment which hung over their heads. And it is not to be expressed with what alacrity the people of all persuasions embraced the occasion, how they flocked to the churches and meetings, and they were all so thronged that there was often no coming near, no, not to the very doors of the largest churches. Also, there were daily prayers appointed morning and evening at several churches, and days of private praying at other places, at all which the people attended, I say, with an uncommon devotion. Several private families also, as well of one opinion as of another, kept family fasts to which they admitted their near relations only, so that, in a word, those people who were really serious and religious applied themselves in a truly Christian manner to the proper work of repentance and humiliation as a Christian people ought to do. Again, the public showed that they would bear their share in these things. The very court, which was then gay and luxurious, put on a face of just concern for the public danger. All the plays and interludes which after the manner of the French court had been set up and began to increase among us were forbid to act. The gaming tables, public dancing rooms, and music houses which multiplied and began to debauch the manners of the people were shut up and suppressed and the jack-puddings, Mary Andrews, puppet shows, rope dancers, and such like doings, which had bewitched the poor common people, shut up their shops, finding indeed no trade, for the minds of the people were agitated with other things, and a kind of sadness and horror at these things sat upon the countenances even of the common people. Death was before their eyes, and everybody began to think of their graves, not of mirth and diversions." But even those wholesome reflections, which rightly managed, would have most happily led the people to fall upon their knees, make confession of their sins, and look up to their merciful Savior for pardon, imploring his compassion on them in such a time of their distress, by which we might have been as a second Nineveh, had a quite contrary extreme in the common people, who, ignorant and stupid in their reflections, as they were brutishly wicked and thoughtless before, were now led by their fright to extremes of folly, and, as I have said before, that they ran to conjurers and witches and all sorts of deceivers to know what should become of them, who fed their fears and kept them always alarmed and awake on purpose to delude them and pick their pockets. So they were as mad upon their running after quacks and mountebanks and every practicing old woman for medicines and remedies, storing themselves with such multitudes of pills, potions, and preservatives, as they were called, that they not only spent their money, but even poisoned themselves beforehand for fear of the poison of the infection, and prepared their bodies for the plague instead of preserving them against it. 
On the other hand, it is incredible and scarce to be imagined how the posts of houses and corners of streets were plastered over with doctor's bills and papers of ignorant fellows quacking and tampering in physic and inviting the people to come to them for remedies, which was generally set off with such flourishes as these, such as infallible preventive pills against the plague, never-failing preservatives against the infection, sovereign cordials against the corruption of the air, exact regulations for the conduct of the body in case of an infection, anti-pestilential pills, incomparable drink against the plague, never found out before, and universal remedy for the plague, the only true plague water, the royal antidote against all kinds of infection, and such a number more that I cannot reckon up, and if I could, would fill a book of themselves to set them down. Others set up bills to summons people to their lodgings for directions and advice in the case of infection. These had specious titles also, such as these. An eminent high Dutch physician, newly come over from Holland, where he resided during all the time of the Great Plague last year in Amsterdam, and cured multitudes of people that actually had the plague upon them. An Italian gentlewoman, just arrived from Naples, having a choice secret to prevent infection, which she found out by her great experience, and did wonderful cures with it in the late plague there, wherein there died twenty thousand in one day. An ancient gentlewoman, having practiced with great success in the late plague in this city, anno 1636, gives her advice only to the female sex, to be spoke with, etc., an experienced physician who has long studied the doctrine of antidotes against all sorts of poison and infection has, after forty years' practice, arrived to such skill as may, with God's blessing, direct persons how to prevent their being touched by any contagious distemper whatsoever. He directs the poor gratis. I take notice of these by way of specimen. I could give you two or three dozen of the like and yet have abundance left behind. Tis sufficient from these to apprise anyone of the humor of those times— and how a set of thieves and pickpockets not only robbed and cheated the poor people of their money, but poisoned their bodies with odious and fatal preparations, some with mercury, and some with other things as bad, perfectly remote from the thing pretended to, and rather hurtful than serviceable to the body in case an infection followed. I cannot omit a subtlety of one of these quack operators, with which he gulled the poor people to crowd about him, but did nothing for them without money. He had, it seems, added to his bills, which he gave about the streets, this advertisement in capital letters, that is, he gives advice to the poor for nothing. Abundance of poor people came to him accordingly, to whom he made a great many fine speeches, examined them of the state of their health and of the constitution of their bodies, and told them many good things for them to do, which were of no great moment. But the issue and conclusion of all was that he had a preparation, which, if they took such a quantity of every morning, he would pawn his life. They should never have the plague, no, though they lived in the house with people that were infected. This made the people all resolve to have it. But then the price of that was so much, I think twas half a crown. But, sir, says one poor woman, I am a poor almswoman, and am kept by the parish, and your bills say you give the poor your help for nothing.' I, good woman, says the doctor, so I do, as I publish there. I give my advice to the poor for nothing, but not my physic. Alas, sir, says she, that is a snare laid for the poor, then, for you give them your advice for nothing, that is to say, you advise them gratis to buy your physic for their money. So does every shopkeeper with his wares. Here the woman began to give him ill words, and stood at his door all that day, telling her tale to all the people that came, till the doctor, finding she turned away his customers, was obliged to call her upstairs again and give her his box of physic for nothing, which, perhaps, too, was good for nothing when she had it. But to return to the people, whose confusions fitted them to be imposed upon by all sorts of pretenders and by every mountebank, 
There is no doubt, but these quacking sort of fellows raised great gains out of the miserable people, for we daily found the crowds that ran after them were infinitely greater, and their doors were more thronged than those of Dr. Brooks, Dr. Upton, Dr. Hodges, Dr. Barrick, or any, though the most famous men of the time, and I was told that some of them got five pound a day by their physic. But there was still another madness beyond all this, which may serve to give an idea of the distracted humor of the poor people at that time, and this was their following a worse sort of deceivers than any of these, for these petty thieves only deluded them to pick their pockets and get their money, and which their wickedness, whatever it was, lay chiefly on the side of the deceivers deceiving, not upon the deceived. But in this part I am going to mention it lay chiefly in the people deceived, or equally in both. And this was in wearing charms, filters, exorcism, amulets, and I know not what preparations, to fortify the body with them against the plague, as if the plague was not the hand of God, but a kind of possession of an evil spirit, and that it was to be kept off with crossings, signs of the zodiac, papers tied up with so many knots, and certain words or figures written on them, as particularly the word abracadabra formed in triangle or pyramid. Others had the Jesuits' mark and a cross, others nothing but a mark. I might spend a great deal of time in my exclamations against the follies and indeed wickedness of those things in a time of such danger and a matter of such consequences as this of a national infection. But my memorandums of these things relate rather to take notice only of the fact and mention that it was so. How the poor people found the insufficiency of those things and how many of them were afterwards carried away in the dead carts and thrown into the common graves of every parish with these hellish charms and trumpery hanging about their necks remains to be spoken of as we go along. All this was the effect of the hurry the people were in, after the first notion of the plague being at hand was among them, and which may be said to be from about Michaelmas 1664, but more particularly, after the two men died in St. Giles's in the beginning of December, and again after another alarm in February. For when the plague evidently spread itself, they soon began to see the folly of trusting to those unperforming creatures who had gulled them of their money, and then their fears worked another way, namely, to amazement and stupidity, not knowing what course to take or what to do, either to help or relieve themselves. But they ran about from one neighbor's house to another, and even in the streets, from one door to another, with repeated cries of, Lord, have mercy upon us, what shall we do? Indeed, the poor people were to be pitied in one particular thing in which they had little or no relief, and which I desire to mention with a serious awe and reflection, which perhaps everyone that reads this may not relish. Namely, that whereas death now began not, as we may say, to hover over everyone's head only, but to look into their houses and chambers and stare in their faces, though there might be some stupidity and dullness of the mind, and there was so a great deal, yet there was a great deal of just alarm sounded into the very inmost soul, if I may so say, of others. Many consciences were awakened, many hard hearts melted into tears, Many a penitent confession was made of crimes long concealed, would wound the souls of any Christian to have heard the dying groans of many a despairing creature, and none durst come near to comfort them. Many a robbery, many a murder was then confessed aloud, and nobody surviving to record the accounts of it. People might be heard even into the streets as we passed along, calling upon God for mercy through Jesus Christ, and saying, I have been a thief, I have been an adulterer, I have been a murderer, and the like and none durst stop to make the least inquiry into such things, or to administer comfort to the poor creatures that in the anguish both of soul and body thus cried out. Some of the ministers did visit the sick at first, and for a little while, but it was not to be done. It would have been present death to have gone into some houses. 
The very barriers of the dead, who were the hardenedest creatures in town, were sometimes beaten back and so terrified that they durst not go into houses where the whole families were swept away together and where the circumstances were more particularly horrible as some were. But this was indeed at the first heat of the distemper. Time inured them to it all, and they ventured everywhere afterwards without hesitation, as I shall have occasion to mention at large hereafter.'